Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to a new beginning. Episode 1. Summer's ready when you are. Let's see, the kids are outside playing in force. I think I hear the ice cream truck down the road. Certainly there's a lot more barbecuing happening than there used to be. I think there's something in the air. It's funny how time works, especially when you work in the world that I work in. And uh, you remember conversations and things that happen to you as you try to work in the now. As I'm editing and splicing and tracking down sound cues and uh, polishing less than perfect moments of radio etiquette, I'm reminded of the origin of this program almost six months ago. And it's not that the production cycle is so long that is fascinating to me. That's actually a very um, common thing. Uh, Most of the stuff that you hear on the radio had some amount of production behind it, uh, and it usually took a lot longer to get ready than you think it did. That was never really the odd thing or the part that I wasn't ready for. What what struck me this time was that I was moving right along. I had shows in the can. We were talking about times and when the thing could launch. And then... Imagine me gesturing wildly. All of this happened. Which, of course, is the subtext of all radio and TV and commercials and podcasts. And, well, let me just stop right there and just say that every single thing that we say and do for a while will have beneath it this weird, eerie corona layer to it that we have to kind of see the world through now. This show, in my mind, is going to try to incorporate the best of radio with the best of DIY publishing. We're going to bring you little anecdotes, uh, short things, things that hopefully pique your interest, spark some conversation, 
maybe even drive you to send a little something our way. The goal here isn't to try to outdo something or emulate something or be more like this or less like that or what have you. Uh, In this day and age, radio and podcasts are so wide open that I think you can do almost anything without anyone batting an eye, and there's a home for it somewhere out there without quoting too many songs. The goal for this one was to try something new and to challenge myself. Maybe I should uh, introduce myself. My name is Austin Rich, and I've been doing radio for uh, over 20 years now, uh, and been writing, working in journalism, playing in music, uh, lots of different things. Uh, But this time around, I'm trying something a little different. Usually you've heard me play lots of long DJ sets, mix together three or four records at a time, bringing you all sorts of bizarre negative jams and experimental what's-its, usually in the evening, as it were. This might be something where it's like uh, cruising past a cable channel and you catch a little whiff of something that you're like, huh? What was that? And you never quite figure it out. That's basically what my radio show used to be. And still is, actually. But this time... Now, I think that uh, with that in mind, uh, we want to try to set a few of these things up before we dive in. Usually we like to kick things off with some sort of story or anecdote. uh, A little kick as it were, to get things uh, moving in the right direction. What did they used to say in the old days? Every now and then you want to knock it up a notch with a blast from your spice weasel. Bam! Oh, yeah! Bam it again, I was like, knock it up another notch! Bam! You know, add a little something like that. With that in mind, let's look back to the perfect mixtape. The greatest mixtape ever made was constructed and composed between 1994 and 1996, according to the best recollections and accounts of the era. The tape contained some of the following music. King Missile, The Wipers, God is My Co-Pilot, and Man or Astro Man. You can't make a good mixtape without a little bit of service. I don't remember exactly how the tape came to be or the construction of the tape or or really uh, when I had it and that kind of thing because, well, that was over 20 years ago. Uh, 25 or more, actually. And... uh, As each passing day 
puts the time I had that tape further and further into the past. The contents thereof are swimmy, as it were. Maybe hazy is a better example. Uh, the folly of youth. Now, this tape was certainly assembled using the collection of the Ramen City Kid, my roommate at the time, who had, to my astonishment, almost 300 records. And uh, these were some good ones, too. Uh, he was a excellent person to introduce you to stuff. He had tons of CDs as well, boxes and boxes of tapes. And that combined with my obsessive recording of a local college station in my area, certainly put this tape into some pretty heavy territory, if I do say so myself. There was a long Stephen Jesse Bernstein rant somewhere on side two that was mixed and evolved into some sort of ween song that the DJ then went on to talk about afterwards for a minute or so. Buried Certainly somewhere in the tape were songs by The Saints and The Buzzcocks, and Beat Happening, uh, The Slits, Tribe 8, all this stuff that I was kind of picking up as the 90s were coming to a close. There was something about making tapes that felt both urgent and archival. Like, you needed this tape now. I mean, you had places to go. You had to go to work and meet up with your friends afterwards to have some coffee at the Glenwood or who knows what. And certainly that kind of attitude led to all sorts of Walkman being lost and destroyed at parties or falling out when I was skating back and forth between this place and that. Band practices that ran way too long and so I uh, ended up needing to go take a break while I was listening to this tape and doing something. Anyway, there was probably some Dinosaur Jr. song to kick it off. Oh, man. No, oh, wait. No? Maybe it was that weird Wally Pleasant stupid day job song. Yeah, that might... Mm, wait a minute. Was that the one that had those samples from Rocky and Bullwinkle? The perfect mixtape. Unfortunately becomes blended and mashed together with all of these other mixtapes from all these other times and places and parties and girlfriends and roommates and pen pals. Boxes of these tapes. Endless tapes. More tapes than I probably will have time to listen to as I dive in to try to locate which one of these had that... Uh, short-lived band I was in with uh, the guys from Concrete and uh, oh wait 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 don't I have recordings of Shane's old radio show too that's got to be in here somewhere the search for the perfect mixtape becomes well boxes and boxes of tapes <laughs> saved for years and years on end taking up what I'm affectionately referring to as my archive and yeah you know it's probably a little bit trickier to find all of those Godhead Silo tracks that I recorded from the radio that one time, and, uh, man, I couldn't even tell you where all of those tapes that those exes made me are. But that search for the perfect mixtape certainly meant something. When, like, 
the final rains of spring were starting to wear off. And you could tell that you were going to get a stretch of warmer days coming up. Borrow somebody's bicycle, put those headphones on, click, starts playing pretty soon. You know what time it is. Well, I wake up in the morning and I crawl out of bed And I feel just like the living dead It's time to start another day And as usual, I'm running late So my mind starts going 100 miles an hour Don't even have time enough to take a shower When I get in my car, it feels like I'm barely alive Ten minutes later, I arrive At my stupid day job Stupid day job Summer's ready. Well, I drink three cups of coffee for that extra kick, but I still feel crappy. I should have called it sick. My boss is late for a meeting at 10. Looks like I'll be written With uh, the current news bombarding us and so much of what we're having to deal with every day really kind of dominating our minds, uh, there's this weird kind of problem that we've run into where we have to work from home without knowing how to work from home. And in thinking about that, something occurred to me. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. As more and more of us get used to the idea of working, playing, living, and basically doing everything at home, uh, a difficulty arises in the way that we actually do our work. You know, many of us might have a desk. Many of us might have a dedicated computer stationary that we can work from. But how many of us have a different place that we work versus where we play? Many people have one computer in their house, and often it's the computer they use for Facebook, video games, conference calls, whatever. And of course, we don't always have these dedicated spaces separate from where we do this stuff. It's just not practical to have five different desks with five different computers running and doing five different things for us. Uh, we kind of need different ways to approach this problem. Now, one way that a lot of people who have multiple devices in the house are solving this is using one device for a particular kind of computer interaction. So for example, maybe you only play games on your iPad. That way, even if you do get a notification on the iPad where it says, hey, you got an email, too bad, I'm on the games device. If I was on my laptop, maybe, but got to finish this Candy Crush. That kind of differentiation helps make work from play separate. And I think that that's highly recommended. But in this particular case, what do you do about, well, I'm sitting around the house enjoying my life. Well, I've clocked on, so I'm sitting around my house working. There's not a lot of difference between those two modes. And so it might often feel like you're just still at work when you should be at home and vice versa, even though there's lots of quotation marks around all of those words. <laughs> what do you do in the case of trying to 
actually add a break between one mode of life and the other when they all happen in the same physical place. The solution to me has actually been commuting to work in a way. You know, I'm actually a walker, and so my idea behind this one is that you'd go for a walk before work and after work. Kind of as if you would be walking to work and then back home from work. Now, you don't really have to do much. 20 minutes will be enough to get the blood up and to kind of get your mind in a different gear. So go outside, walk for 10 minutes, turn around, come back. That's your commute. And then you're just able to start working and you've already kind of shifted into thinking about things in a different way because you've been outside, your mind has been running, maybe you were listening to a podcast or some music and so something has kind of triggered in that respect. And then when you do sit back down to do something, you've kind of been re-energized. It works the same at the end of the day when you're finished with your last email and your last Zoom meeting or whatever, go for a walk. It perfectly matches this idea of getting out of one mode and getting into another. And then when you get back home, you can watch TV or do whatever. Now, this is also the perfect time to hop on an exercise bike or a treadmill, do a little workout or yoga between these phases of your day. Certainly a bicycle ride would be extremely ideal. But whatever it is that you actually want to do to make that transition, make sure you have a transition of some kind, some break from one part of your day, and then a different way of entering into the next. I think that if we do have to keep this up for, let's just say, the rest of the time that we work, we'll want to come up with newer and more exciting ways to keep engaged in our jobs while we are at home. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to add some sort of walking or bicycling routine into the rhythm of your day. We are certainly not beneath stooping to literary greats and heroes of a nature to uh, help bolster the content of this program. Uh, it's what all great radio has done way back to the beginning of our medium, and I would be remiss if I didn't do it myself. So, this time, why don't you sit back and enjoy a little bit of Austin's Library, here on Something In Between. An excerpt from Wama, etc., by Flan O'Brien, from The Best of Miles, Book Handling. A visit that I paid to the house of a newly married friend the other day set me thinking. My friend is a man of great wealth and vulgarity. When he had set about buying bedstands, tables, chairs, and whatnot, it occurred to him to buy also a library. Whether he can read or not, I do not know, but some savage faculty for observation told him that most respectable and estimable people usually had a lot of books in their houses. So he bought several bookcases and paid some rascally middleman to stuff them with all manner of new books, some of them very costly volumes on the subject of French landscape painting. 
I noticed on my visit that not one of them had ever been opened or touched, and remarked the fact. When I get settled down properly, said the fool, I'll have to catch up on my reading. This is what set me thinking. Why should a wealthy person like this be put to the trouble of pretending to read at all? Why not a professional book handler to go in and suitably maul his library for so much per shelf? Such a person, if properly qualified, could make a fortune. Dog ears for a penny. Let me explain exactly what I mean. The wares in a bookshop look completely unread. On the other hand, a schoolboy's Latin dictionary looks read to the point of tatters. You know that the dictionary has been opened and scanned perhaps a million times, and if you did not know that there was such a thing as a box on the ear, you would conclude that the boy is crazy about Latin and cannot bear to be away from his dictionary. Similarly with our non-brow who wants his friends to infer from a glancing around his house that he is a highbrow. He buys an enormous book on the Russian ballet, written possibly in the language of that distant but beautiful land. Our problem is to alter the book in a reasonably short time so that anybody looking at it will conclude that its owner has practically lived, supped, and slept with it for many months. You can, if you like, talk about designing a machine driven by a small but efficient petrol motor that would read any book in five minutes the equivalent of five years or ten years of reading being obtained by merely turning a knob. This, however, is the cheap soulless approach of the times we now live in. No machine can do the same work as the soft human fingers. The trained and experienced book handler is the only real solution of this contemporary social problem. What does he do? How does he work? What would he charge? How many types of handling would there be? These questions and many more I will answer next time. The world of books. Yes, this question of book handling. The other day I had a word to say about the necessity for the professional book handler, a person who will maul the books of illiterate but wealthy upstarts so that the books will look as if they have been read and reread by their owners. How many uses of mauling would there be? Without giving the matter much thought, I should say four. Supposing an experienced handler is asked to quote for the handling of one shelf of books four feet in length, he should quote thus under four heads. Popular handling. Each volume to be well and truly handled, four leaves in each to be dog-eared, and a tram ticket, cloakroom docket, or other comparable article inserted in each as a forgotten bookmark. Say, one pound, seven shillings, six pence. Five percent discount for civil servants. Premier handling. Each volume to be thoroughly handled, eight leaves in each to be dog-eared, a suitable passage in not less than 25 volumes to be underlined in red pencil, and a leaflet in French on the works of Victor Hugo to be inserted as a forgotten bookmark in each. Say, two pounds, 17 shillings, six pence, 5% discount for literary university students, civil servants, and lady social workers. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Something in between a radio zine. Summer's ready when you are. Episode 1 contains stories written by Austin Rich and Flan O'Brien. 
including theme from Summer is Ready, The Perfect Mixtape, Commuting to Work, and excerpts from Wema Incorporated. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy. If you have a story you'd like to send in, read, or just be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no show. Be seeing you. Song.